I have a message on my heart that I'm hoping is going to be ministering to um, many people today. I think it's a word of healing. I think it's a fatherly uh, uh, perspective. It's my view on what is going on right now. It's the season that we're in, in our nation and as a church. Uh, I'm talking about the church global. Uh, something is happening, and I think the God, Lord is bringing forth some understanding. The, the message is called The Bride, the Bureaucracy, and the Building. The Bride, the Bureaucracy, and the Building. Uh, the events of the last 18 months in this nation, but across the world, have brought about a censure and a focus uh, from the Lord to discerning people to have a discussion which sort of prompted this idea and discussion and revisiting of a few things. It's caused us to rethink the role of the prophetic office. It's called us to the role of the church, which is in theology called the, our ecclesiology, what we believe about what the church should be doing. And it's brought into focus what we believe about our eschatology, what we believe about the end times, what is supposed to be happening. Because what you believe about those things is going to impact the way you think we should be responding right now. And I think the Lord has brought those into focus, not, not as a discipline, but as a censure. He's just called us, he's pulled the reins back a little just to get our attention to say, hey, it's time for these discussions. We need to start thinking around these things. And so I want to talk a little bit about, uh, we can't deal with all of that now in today's sermon, but I want to talk a little bit about some of that, which I think may be helpful to us. I'm hoping that it'll add understanding. Uh, because there are some things going on. There are some movements on a global scale, but are impacting the, United, the U.S. church. And I think we just need to think about them and, and start the conversation. So let's talk firstly about the bride of Jesus Christ, the bride of Jesus who is Beautiful. Ephesians 5.31, Paul uses this, uh, this term mystery in the, in the New Testament about 19 times, but this is the, the most profound one he uses. Paul says, listen, Paul was taken to heaven, right? And he saw inexplicable things that he's not allowed to mention. So Paul gets really excited and it, and he, and it leaks out every now and again. Paul goes, I, I, I'm not allowed to talk about this, but there's a mystery here. Just like, like, like pay attention to this. And this is one. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and he shall become united to his wife, and those two will become one flesh. I'm not allowed to talk about this. This is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. A man and his wife will come together and these two will become one. This is Jesus and the church. You get it? Revelation 21. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The simple truth is that God has been preparing for his son, an eternal consort, the wife, the bride of the lamb, and she is going to absolutely captivate Jesus. See, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, we'll be absolutely blown away by him. He will just astound. He will be marveled at amongst those who believe, the scripture says. When he comes back, he's going to be astounding. He's everything you ever dreamed of, way, like on steroids, like significantly more. He's going to blow you away. But the truth is God didn't shortchange his son. God didn't say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give you this ragtag team of people and they just, seriously, they just, it's a mess. But I'm going to wed you to them for eternity and you're just going to have to drag them through eternity. 
That wasn't the plan. The plan was for the unbelievably powerful and glorious work of redemption of Jesus Christ and the perfection of that and the power of that redemption to redeem for himself a people who are his very own, made beautiful, washed, cleansed, filled, ready, and an eternal consort for him. He's going to take your breath away, but you, we together are going to take his breath away. So I want you to know she's beautiful. The bride is beautiful in God's eyes and in Jesus' eyes. Made up of believers from every tribe and tongue and nation, that's who we are. So if you're racist, get over yourself if you want to be part of the bride. Can I just say that right up front? So when we receive salvation by grace, through faith, we are included in Christ. We are submerged, baptized into the body of Christ and then sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ and the two have become one. Hello. And when you're one with Christ, because anybody who unites himself to the Lord has become one with him in spirit, Paul said, then these two, the, the, the mystery of the man and his bride becoming one, this is Jesus and the church. And once you are born again, you're included in God's family. You're part of the bride of Christ. And like newborn babies, you require spiritual milk and nurturing and somebody needs to take you. So when you become part of the bride, you have to come into a local expression where they can help you grow up. So let's talk about the bride just for a little while because Jesus paid a great price for this bride, his own death, his own blood. And, and so many times, 15 times in the New Testament, you hear this understanding of for whom Jesus died. He, it's, it's held up in the scripture as an esteemed group of people. This is what Jesus had in mind. This is who he knows he paid for. The bride of Christ, those who believed in him are extremely treasured. It's a treasured possession in the eyes of Jesus. He's enamored with the bride. She has captivated him. Again, God did not shortchange Jesus. But you've been cleansed and redeemed by his blood. You've been filled with his spirit. You live in his new nature. You have his mind in you. You show forth his praise. And to him, you are captivatingly beautiful. Amen, Greg. I think that's a great point. <laughs> this felt like there should be some feedback coming. Song of Songs in the Passion Translation. I just want to read you this because many, many people believe that the Song of Songs is a, is, a, is a story, is a parable of the relationship of Jesus and his bride. Now, so this is the husband speaking to the bride. See, we always, we always uh, as a tradition in the church, the church has always been on the back foot, always feeling like low down, dirty, rotten sinners, and how can he ever bother with me, and how can I just come and get grace, and then I, I walk out all embarrassed, but I'm glad I'm forgiven. That's not what the Scripture teaches. I know that's how you feel sometimes, but that's not what the theology of the Scripture is. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is you've been made completely new, and He, when you were included in Christ, you were seen to be holy and blameless in His sight. Completely free from accusation, the Bible says. Now you are ready, my bride, to come with me. For you reach into my heart with one flash of your eyes. I am undone by your love. My beloved, my equal, my bride, you leave me breathless. 
I'm overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. I'm held hostage by your love and by the graces of righteousness shining upon you. How satisfying to me, my equal, my bride. Your love is my finest wine, intoxicating and thrilling, and your sweet perfumed praises so exotic and so pleasing. This is God's beloved, his chosen eternal consort, the one he shares his kingdom with. So I don't like Greg, I don't like that, I'm, I'm equal with God. Well, he shared his kingdom with you. He invites you to sit on his throne. He has made you a co-heir with him in the kingdom of God and he has chosen to become one with you. His eye is on the bride. Uh, the bride has his heart. He awaits uh, his bride at a marriage feast. That's what all the scripture says. He's coming back for his bride. And so I believe that the most dangerous place in the universe is to be somebody who stands and messes and hurts his bride or leads her astray or takes advantage of the bride for your own advancement. Because Jesus gave his bride into the care of the attendants of the bride, skilled servants whose job it is to prepare her for his return. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Because these are skilled servants who are supposed to attend his bride so that when he comes back, she is ready for him. Our job as attendants of the bride is to protect and preserve and to equip her so that she becomes the eternal consort of the great king. The worst possible thing you can do is to stand around as an attendant of the bride and take advantage of her. Because you have to understand, not only is the bride beautiful, but she needs protection. Hear me now. There are too many attendants of the bride who put their hands inappropriately on his bride, oftentimes in his name, saying, this is good for you. He wants me to do this. Some rape God's bride because they think there is no accounting on, to, on the next day, on tomorrow sometime. But the scripture says, we have to, it says, submit to your leaders because they watch over you as people who must give an account. I'm extremely aware of an account that I have to give for how I led God's people. This is not a non-issue for me. I live under the shadow of the reality that one day when, when we wrap this all up, I'm gonna be called front and center, Michelle and I, and the Lord's gonna say, oh, let's talk. Let's give an account for Northlands. It's never very far away from me. We stand as people who must give an account, not to you, but to him. Imagine if the bridegroom comes back and he finds his bride with a black eye and a broken arm. Well, what happened to you? Some of these attendants you gave, they, they beat me while you were gone. That's why I say this is the most dangerous place in the universe, right here. That's why the scripture says not many of you should presume to be teachers. It, it was he who gave some to be, not everybody. Go, I, I think I'll just go. I'm going to go start a church. I'll be a... Not the wisest course of action. Paul warned... He said, after I go, I'm telling you that savage wolves are going to come in amongst the flock and they're going to feed their selfish ambition and they're going to not want to spare the flock and they're not going to treat the bride with care or honor or dignity. They're going to uncover her every mistake. 
They're gonna point out every misstep of the bride. Why? Because they care about the bride? Because they understand the feelings that the bridegroom has for the bride? Have no passion to help her become more beautiful, more strong, more confident. No, they beat her down so that they can look good. This is my own little soapbox. I'm not preaching at anyone in this room, but, but this is what I do around the world. This thing. Because there are too many attendants of the bride who don't understand what they're there for. They think they can take authority over the bride. They think that it's theirs to touch the bride in inappropriate ways. That's why, that's why God always makes the attendants of the bride eunuchs because you can't take personal pleasure with somebody else's bride. You're there to serve but not to take advantage. Watch out for people who are always pointing out the problems of God's bride. Watch out for those who distort issues and exaggerate things, who make massive issues out of secondary issues. Watch out for those who draw disciples after themselves. Watch out for those who pronounce judgments on God's bride. Because I want to tell you this right now, with all authority, God is not shouting judgments over his bride. Jesus is not shouting condemnation over his bride. Jesus is longing for her. God's gonna get you. Well, have you not read the covenant of peace that he said in Isaiah 56? I swear, to me, this is like the days of Noah when I swore, I would never again flood the earth. So now I have sworn, I will never be angry with you again and I'll never break my covenant of peace with you, says the Lord. You're under, if you believed in Jesus, you're under a covenant with almighty God and he swore with an uplifted arm, I will never break my covenant of peace with you in Christ. Now we've got somebody going, oh, God's gonna judge you. I go, be quiet. Sit down. Stop flashing your credentials because what you just said just proved to me that you are off base. <laughs> Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of God of which the Holy Spirit made you the overseers. Be shepherds of God's church which he bought with his own blood. See, see, we're coming back to this, this idea that Jesus knows who he bought and he knows what it cost him. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. <clears throat> Watch for people, because this is how you tell, an attendant of the bride is, is concerned about the bride, just wants her to be okay, wants it, wants it to make it right. The people who, who are, are like this, who don't spare the flock, watch out for them. Even from your own number, men will arise to distort the truth, to draw away disciples behind themselves. Now, even if my wife, my wife makes a mistake, I don't want to hear disrespect of her, especially from someone who seems thrilled because they've caught you in a mistake and now they're going to use it over her. Does that make sense? It's not that my wife's perfect. I don't want to hear it from you. Jesus didn't go through all this trouble to suffer, to live a sinless life, to die, to serve his bride, to be selfless uh, in order that she can have life, to lay down his life in sacrificial service so that some attendant can get up and take up his sheriff badge and the scepter of judgment and start beating out judgment on the bride of Christ. Who do you think you are? Say, Greg, you're coming on strong. Yes, it's about time. 
Somebody's got to get up and say this. Who do you think you are? Jesus died to make her free, and then he what? He gave you the scepter of judgment so you can go and bash her? But Greg, there's sin in the camp. Yeah, there's sin in your camp too. Be very careful. Be very careful how you treat those for whom Christ died. Romans 14. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, a servant will stand or fall. And God is able to make him stand. Well, I don't think your service to Jesus meets the mark, so I'm going to rebuke you. Who are you? I am the sheriff of the body of Christ. I don't see that ministry in the scriptures. (laughs) What I do see is somebody called the accuser of the brethren. But it's not held in high regard. Paul said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any other human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. But my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore... Oh, if I, could, if, I could insure, if I could put this up in a... Do judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. I'm not, this scripture is not saying if there's evil going on, don't rebuke it. No, you can expose evil and rebuke evil. This is saying you can't judge what's going on in somebody else's heart. Oh, they just, they just a slave to fear. No, no, maybe they just, maybe the Lord just told them to be quiet for a moment. Just steeped in sin. How did you know? Judge nothing before the time. God's going to bring to light what's in people's hearts. We are so quick on the draw to judge other people's actions and to assign motive to them. Oh, that's why they did that. How do you know? So Jesus is passionately committed to his bride and everybody who is part of the bride is asked to get into a local church because that's a visible expression of the global bride. Now every member of the bride of Christ is expected to be part of a community, to share their gifts and to serve others and to love and to bear with others and to be patient with others and to be considerate towards others and to greet others and to pray for others and to give to others. Your part of the bride of Christ means that others are going to be involved because it's not just you who's the bride, we form the bride. So if you don't get the weeness of the bride, then you think it's okay for you to just be in a, in a single place, us four, no more, a few people there who completely agree with you. But being part of the bride of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every thought process, out of all of those makes up one bride. And so if you're gonna be part of the bride, you have to engage with other people. So going to and being engaged with a local church is the visible expression of that bride and it's imperative. So let's, that's the bride of Christ. Let's talk about the bureaucracy. Every local church has a bureaucracy. 
Jesus said, Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm humble and gentle and you'll find rest for your souls. Every church has a yoke. Every church has one. Every church puts on their people an expectancy bias, a theology and an orthopraxy that we think is right. We believe this is the right theology. We believe this is the right way to do things, theology and orthopraxy. We believe the scriptures, what they teach, and we believe this is the right way to live. This is the right way to baptize people. This is the correct way to take communion. This is the best way to worship God. These are the acceptable norms for prayer. This is how you do evangelism. These are the expectations of behaviors. Our style of music, the clothes that we invite people to wear, the length of our services, how we relate to the leaders of the church, it's all part of our yoke. It's all part of the bureaucracy of Northlands. Now, every church has a bureaucracy. Every church has a yoke, is what Jesus said, and it's gonna put it on people. Now, the simple truth is that not every member of the bride of Christ is gonna feel comfortable in this bureaucracy. Does that make sense? I'd like our bureaucracy. It's not our fault we're right. You know, you know got, it, that's, that's the way it feels in my heart, you know? It's, you know, it's not our fault we got it right. But because it's comfortable for me. This is our bureaucracy. We were in Uganda preaching a couple of years back and they invited us to the Sunday morning service and after five and a half hours, they suggested we go and take a break because we've got a few more things to do and we were looking a little wan. They said, well, we've just got some baptisms and some messages still to do but you guys take a break. Five and a half hours in. I don't fit in that bureaucracy. Now, sometimes a local bureaucracy is not a good fit for a member of the bride of Christ, but they're encouraged to join a local church because it's important, and it is still important. And so if you're part of the bride of Christ and you joined a local bureaucracy and the local bureaucracy had a yoke that bit into you and it wasn't comfortable and you didn't fit, and then what happens to you? Because if that's going wrong and you're being hurt and bruised in a local bureaucracy, then the only choice you have is die in the, in the yoke or leave the bureaucracy. But what happens if you leave the bureaucracy, you're still part of the bride, but you, but you didn't fit that bureaucracy. Now, right here, right, right in this moment, we have to be careful. Because the Bible has a lot to say about the way you, you govern a church, about the bureaucracy, about the yoke. When you do it right, when the, there's nothing like the local church when it works like it should. There is nothing. It is the hope of the world. It is the most powerful, dynamic organism on the face of the planet. There's no doubt in my mind, absolutely none. Nothing like the local church when it works like it should, but what happens if it's not working well? Well then, people are gonna get pushed out. And if this happens too many times, you've got a whole bunch of people who are part of the bride of Christ who've been mangled by bureaucracy. Now, the simple truth of this is if you get into a bureaucracy that's really doing you good, that's, that's protecting you, that's encouraging you, that's stirring you, that's teaching you, that's inspiring you and launching you, most of all, equipping you for the call of God on your life, then cling to it with all you have, give it all you have, join it, celebrate it, push it forward. Don't be a, well, I don't like that. Don't be that person. Do you understand? Because a bureaucracy that works is worth its weight in gold. 
Hello. And if we're going to speak the truth, which I think we should, sometimes it's the fault of an overzealous leadership in a bureaucracy who assume control and authority that is not theirs. And sometimes it's just plain arrogance on the part of the member of the bride who just doesn't want to be told what to do. Sometimes a church is a good fit for a season and then you outgrow it. Sometimes the church outgrows somebody who doesn't want to change. Do you understand? So we have the bride and we have a bureaucracy in a local church. Sometimes it's been people being wound up by dangerous wolves in sheep's clothing. Oh, they did what? Oh, it would be so much better here in us and my little huddle of four. Come join us. If I didn't believe that Northlands was a great place to be part, to, to join your spiritual journey with, I, I would quit. I seriously would. But I really do believe that. Come with us. We'll do you good. But here's what I want to say. We need to learn to bless and not curse. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Our role, our ability, our authority is to bless and not to curse. Encourage and not to slander. Bless and do not curse. So what do we do when we have a member of the bride of Christ who goes to a local bureaucracy, gets chewed up by the bureaucracy and says, I can't stay here. What should happen in that transaction? Because let me tell you what usually happens. The, the member of the bride starts to badmouth the church because they're trying to justify why they're gonna leave. Well, you know, I'm leaving because the, uh, on last Thursday, they, they didn't do the spelling mistake and the thing. And they find reasons. And they, and they well, what a terrible church. Uh, we don't think, and they never served and, in, and now the church leaders are feeling hurt because you don't want to be part of my church. And we start going, yeah, they were. Do you understand? We start cursing one another, which doesn't help anyone. What happens? Why don't we try this? Well, I hope I'm preaching to somebody here. Why don't we try this? Thank you so much. While you were here, you were just such a blessing. And we want to honor you. And we want to bless you. Thank you for the time you gave us. May the favor of God attend your ways. May he guide your steps and we'll be praying for you. Thank you for the time you gave us. And they turn around and say, you know, Northlands, you have been such a blessing. Thank you for the time. And, the, and we just want to honor and thank you. It has been a blessing to be here. And we're trusting God for his continued blessing on you. What about that? Because I'm, I'm clear enough to know that not every member of the Bride of Christ is going to find our bureaucracy beautiful. And my concern is for people who, part of the Bride of Christ, who joined a bureaucracy, got spat out, and then they joined another bureaucracy and got hurt, and then they joined a third bureaucracy. And you know what happens after a while? These people who haven't been able to find a bureaucracy that works start to say, we need to dismantle the church. We need to start, this is not working for us. This is not going well. Because the last thing we need is bruised and broken people trying to fit into new bureaucracies. Let's bless one another. 
There's many people who've been to multiple bureaucracies and have come away bruised and beaten up and slandered and scarred. And when this happened, they start to scream for something else. Because there's so many big issues that need to be addressed in the church. Like where our money should go. How a church should be start, how a church in a local area should be looking after the poor in that area. Right? It's a big issue in Scripture. You can't, you can't read the New Testament and not see that. Paul said, they, the, the only thing the Jerusalem Council told me to do was to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You can't read the gospel and not see that God's heart for the poor is something that he mandated for the church, but so many local bureaucracies don't have a heart for the poor. So there's a, there's a worthy discussion here. It's not just all, oh, if you leave a bureaucracy, you're in sin. No, well, sometimes the bureaucracy needs to be malleable, changed a little. Massive divisions between clergy and laity and the pomp and the entitlement and the ceremony demanded by leaders has drifted from what Jesus taught about leadership in the scriptures. Can we just be honest about that? That hurts people in some bureaucracies. How about loving everybody and loving God? That's a fairly large piece of the gospel. And some churches feels like they missed that one for. Sometimes this part of the bride and the bureaucracy doesn't work because sometimes it's the limitations of the bureaucracy, the aberrations. Sometimes it's just the deficiency in the member. Can I just say that if you've left multiple bureaucracies for the same reason, maybe, maybe you could go to the Lord and say, might it be something in us? Either way, let's be gentle with one another. We don't have the authority to curse people. We only have the authority to bless them. Let's talk about the building. The bride, the bureaucracy, in the building. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's Colonnade, which, which would house about five to 7,000 people. Early church started day one with 3,000 people. A couple of months later, another 5,000 were added. They were large, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There were 10, 15, 20,000 believers who'd come together to meet. Oh, I don't like these big buildings. I think it's all wrong. Well, just read your Bible. The believers came together to be taught and equipped by apostles. They, there was a necessary meeting together. Oh, but they met in one another's homes. Yes, they did, but they also met in Solomon's Colonnade. The local church is more than a Sunday meeting. But unfortunately, that's not true in many churches. Church is a meeting on a Sunday morning. As we went through COVID, the churches that had fixed their hearts that the whole existence of the churches, what happened in a meeting on a Sunday morning, discovered when they couldn't meet anymore that the church collapsed. But those churches were, was more than a Sunday morning meeting. It was, about, it was about communion. It was about the calling of God on our lives outside of Sundays. Those churches just went on. I'm missing the meeting. They cared about one another. They loved one another. They were ministering to their neighbors. They were caring for the poor. They were looking after other people. The church began to awaken and unroll and do stuff. Oh, we didn't have Sunday mornings for a while.
Church is, the building is a rallying point, a place where community happens, but especially a place where equipping can happen. People can be inspired and taught and restored and encouraged, but the thing that sets Sunday meetings aside is that people are encouraged and equipped to live out their walk with the Lord in whatever sphere of life God has called them to. It must translate out of the building. The building is not the game. The building is the huddle where we get equipped and we do strategy and we talk and we think and we pray and we get encouraged and we get some Gatorade and a, and a shoulder rub. And then you go out from there and go and play the game, which is wherever God has positioned you in your life. When the building is celebrated and used well, it equips and inspires people to go out and be the salt and light that Jesus said they were supposed to be. It allows people who've been called and appointed by God and equipped to watch over other people's lives and, and, and anointed to that role to be equipping mechanisms. Well, I don't think we should go. I don't like these big churches. It's gonna be us four no more in my living room. That's great. But God has appointed for the bride some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And the bride needs their ministry. And you're drawing them away behind yourself and not exposing nobody else because we're the only four who know. Well, no, you haven't understood the gospel correctly. There are some people that God has called and equipped to uh, anoint, anointed to equip God's people. It allows for people who have capacity for thousands to minister to thousands and brings their gifting to bear. And it facilitates a team of leaders working together to produce meetings that are good for God's people. What happens when the building becomes the whole picture and your attendance at the building is the primary mark of your devotion? Well, then it becomes unhealthy. And we think the church is the holy huddle where all the business gets done. But if you begin to see that church is not the building, the people are the church. This is just the meeting place for the church where we get equipped. But then as the church, we go out into all the spheres God has called us to. Let me say this very clearly. Regular meetings of the church are vital, extremely important to your spiritual health, but they are by no means the entire picture because the church is for equipping and the church is for launching. We're called to go out into the world and spread the gospel. We're called to be salt and light in our communities. Right now, let me just tell you honestly, if I had children of school-going age, I would make sure that I was on the school board, that I was overseeing whatever oversight committee was looking at curriculum, the curriculum advisory committee, I would make sure I am there because right now there is an onslaught on our children, unbelievable. And it needs believers in those places. If you're not attentive right now, I'm telling you, listen to me, if, parents, if you're not on this right now, something is gonna get pushed on your children that you don't want. So if I was, a, I'm telling you, I'll tell you the truth, I'd be at everything. Get involved in local government. Go and submit yourself. Get yourself in the community where you can be salt and light, where you can bring your values to bear, where you can stand up for righteousness and say, I'm not taking this book. This is vile. 
I was speaking to a pastor this week, and he said he was in a meeting up in, in Washington and uh, went to a school meeting, and one of the dads got up and he began to read this book, and it was a book about a, a homosexual act between two men. And they asked him, sir, this is inappropriate. And he said, well, how, do you, how did you find it appropriate to give this to my seven-year-old? This is, this is required reading for my seven-year-old, but you're too embarrassed for me to read it out loud in a, in a meeting of adults. This is going on right now. We can't sit in this building and go, oh, that is terrible. Because if I stood up here and I, oh, and we could, we could get zealous and rebuke that, but, the, but better, better, better for you to go and get involved in your school board and say, yeah, we're not doing that. Not on my watch, not here. Does it make any sense? So go out. Find places in the community where you can have influence and authority to speak on boards and local government. Jesus said, go out into all the world and preach this gospel. And this gospel will transform hearts and lives. And when it does, society will be transformed. He didn't say, go and, go and make society conform to the Ten Commandments. He said, go and change the hearts of people. Don't just go out and point out the, uh, the problems that unredeemed people have and nag them about their sin. That's not preaching the gospel, that's upholding the law. Go and proclaim good news. <laughs> not bad news and good advice. For years I, pray, I, I proclaimed bad news and good advice and I called it the good news. It's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus has come and he's not counted your sins against you and that he loves you and he's come to redeem you and that there is power and he can transform you from darkness to light. <laughs> Too often the church is, is, is marked as being obnoxious or arrogant or angry finger pointing people. And while, while I understand some of the church should be there, that should not be the majority view of the church. Certainly wasn't of the early church. Some of the persecution we face is because we brought it on ourselves by a lack of love expressed into a world that is desperately thirsty for love. 1 Peter 4. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed and the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or as a meddler. I wouldn't have put murderer, criminal, thief, and meddler in the same sentence. But Peter said, stop meddling with other people. If you suffer, it should not be because you were a meddler. Don't poke the bear and then moan about the scratches. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Praise God you bear that name. I am, you know, the, the early church, when they whipped them, they, they came back rejoicing that they'd been count, given the honor to suffer for his name. Praise God. But if you're obnoxious and arrogant and meddling and people slap you, that's not, oh, I'm just suffering for my Christianity. No, you're suffering because you've not been wise. Is that fair? Hiding in a building is not the answer. 
But we need the buildings to be encouraged and refreshed and equipped. Stop picking on the building. Oh, that building, going to the building, that's the problem with the church. No, it's not. You get launched from a place, from a group of people. You go from somewhere, out of somewhere, you go. And as we go, people are going to see our message more than hear it. Being with sinners and sharing good news looks very different from judging them from a distance and screaming angry placard slogans. Those two scenarios look are perceived by the world as love and hate. People are going to see our message more than hear it. There's no society or neighborhood that is Christian enough to protect us from evil. You know why? Because evil lives in the hearts of people. The answer doesn't lie primarily in societal reform, although if we can reform the society for God, I'm, I'm for it. The answer is primarily repentance and faith in people's hearts. When we go out, we must show some decorum and some wisdom because people are watching us. Well, Greg, the Bible says if it's not a faith, it's sin. And I really believe that I've got a message from God. Well, good, you're not sinning, but you're not wise either. I know a lot of people are not in sin because they believe completely what they're saying is true, but the way they're going about it is violating people and throwing up barriers and putting up walls. But I felt justified because it was my conviction and I preached my conviction. And funny how my conviction always ends up being the gospel. I've seen some, I preached the gospel. I I haven't heard, I've been listening to you for 10 minutes, I haven't heard one piece of the gospel come out of your mouth. A lot of conviction though. Oh, it's good for ratings and it's good for fundraising, but it's not a good representation of the gospel. Just because you're passionate doesn't mean you're wise. Somehow we've gotten to a place almost in our nation where it seems like if you tr- we treasure conviction above wisdom. In fact, we treasure conviction above all other virtues. It doesn't matter as long as, you, as long as you're full of conviction. People will rally behind. They'll fund you if you... I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves be as shrewd as snakes innocent as doves if you hear anything This morning, I pray that you hear this. Jesus loves his bride more than is possible to comprehend. He's passionate about you. You have captivated his heart. You are the dream of eternity. You are the plan that he's been working on since before time began. The the bride of Jesus Christ has captivated his heart. He's not giving you up. He, He hasn't hit plan B. You are part of the bride of Christ and he is passionately in love with you. And everything, the whole universe is revolving around you and him becoming one for eternity. That's why the scripture says when he comes back, what is mortal will be swallowed up by immortality. Why? Because you're designed to be an eternal consort for this king of glory. He is deeply, irrevocably, passionately committed to his bride. Be very careful how you talk about her. There are bureaucracies. Right now, there are many bureaucracies that are due for an overhaul. That's not an evil thing. 
That's just an obvious necessary thing. There are some bureaucracies that are stuck in 30 year time warp. Go back 30 years, 40 years, 60 years, 100 years it was appropriate. It's not appropriate any longer. There are some bureaucracies that need an update and, I, and while I'm very nervous of that, I understand that some of them need change because on the fundamentals of the gospel, they've drifted too far away. They've forgotten their first love. Oh, they're busy. Oh, they're engaged. But they've forgotten their first love. But if you find a bureaucracy that's working, you find a bureaucracy that keeps you safe and encouraged and focused on Jesus and he's equipping you, don't ever leave it until God launches you into the call of God on your life. And engage with the building. We've always said at Northlands, the status symbol is not how many people attend services in the building. The status symbol for me, the thing that we actually measure is how many members we've launched into the call of God that's on their life. I measure our success by that standard. And I see it all around. I see people emerging. I see people getting confident. I see people beginning to minister and learn and trust God and step out. And it's all outside the building. And they don't even, rec- they don't even give Northlands, oh, I learned that at North. They're just going and ministering. And I go, go, Lord. The measurement of this ministry is not bodies on chairs on a Sunday morning but how many people are ministering and in, in, released into the call of God. I love that piece. But the building's important. I'm gonna close by praying because there are some people in this place that you've got. You've got church stress disorder. You've been to a few bureaucracies. Doesn't really matter to me whether it was the bureaucracy's fault or your fault. But in the process, you got beaten up. You got hurt and scarred and mangled, kicked out. And I just want to tell you, if you love Jesus, we love you. And I'd like to just pray that God does a healing work in your heart. That he help you through. So let me pray for you. Father, I pray for us, especially for those people who've been hurt by churches, that, Lord, there's a a wound there that doesn't seem to want to close up. It's a festering wound, Lord. And, Father, this morning I pray and I release, Lord, the balm of Gilead. I release, Lord, a healing. Lord, things that that were said in anger, curses that were spoken by legitimate authorities in an illegitimate way, hatred that was spoken, slander that was attached, all of that, Lord, I pray that you'd wash it away right now. I break it off your people. No. And I call your bride, Lord, back to her inheritance, back to her glory. There is a giant of a God in you who dreams great dreams for you. There is surely a future hope for you, and that hope will never be cut off. Father, I bless your people, especially those who have been hurt and bruised. 
And then, Father, I lift up church leaders who've taken body blow after body blow and accusation and slander that they did not deserve and do not earn. And I pray for every church leader, Lord, so discouraged that you would encourage them, that you would pour life into them, that you would stir their faith and whisper again to them, Lord, that it's worth it. It's worth it to lead God's people. I know we're running late and I know this is taking time, but there's something on this right now and I don't want to rush this moment. I think the Holy Spirit has come to minister to some people. So let's give it one more minute. By the authority that you, get, you put on my life, Lord, I break every curse that was spoken out by a church leader that was undeserved. And by the authority of the word of God, I say an undeserved curse may not come to rest. So I break it off these people right now. In Jesus' name. No more curses. Every condemnation that was spoken, every slander that was spoken, every accusation that still haunts them, by the authority you gave me, Father, I break it off these people in Jesus' name. No more. Not, not again. I break it now. Right now, free. And Lord, I pray that the voice of the Holy Spirit would ring like a bell in our hearts, in our spirits, in our ears, that what you say, Lord, and how you define us would now take over. Not another lie. Not another lie to own any mind space in anyone in this room. I pray in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it, Lord. Amen. Amen.